So wherever you're at on the inflammation spectrum, the body is amazingly resilient. But these are check engine lights. Things like fatigue, the weight loss resistance, the anxiety, the depression, the digestive problems, those are all like check engine lights on a car. You can't just cover up the check engine light and say, see you in six months and like keep on driving. You have to take inventory of what's going on in your body now, not later. If there's a sign in the front of the Functional Medicine Center here, we say, if you're waiting for the, the right time, it's now. Welcome to the Alcohol Edition Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am non-alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I'm someone that doesn't drink alcohol and spend Every waking moment of my life helping other people do the same. Like today, we're going to be talking to Dr. Will Cole. And you might remember that a long, long time ago, many years ago, I tried to get on the keto train. Everyone was going on about keto diet, keto this, keto that. So I was vegan at the time. So I went online, said keto vegan. And I found this book, The Ketotarian Diet. And I read it and I really liked it. And I tried it for a bit. And it didn't sit well with me. I can't remember why, but it didn't. And I stopped doing it. But I interviewed the book's author, Dr. Will Cole. I really liked him, thought he was great. And then just recently, I was uh, uh, hosting a podcast for a poker company. And I thought, oh, I'll get, I'll get Dr. Will on to talk about uh, ketotarianism because that's, you know, a lot of poker players are into that. When I realized he'd, read the, he'd written this new book called The Inflammation Spectrum. So um, I bought it and read it, realized that my inflammation scores were really high and decided to do his eight-week elimination diet. So that's what this podcast is going to be about with me and Will. I actually talk more than Will, I think, but it's just that I'm so excited to share with you how this, not diet because it's not a diet, it's my new lifestyle choice, my, my choice to remove inflammatory products from my life in terms of food. We didn't even get to talk about chemicals and uh, another form of toxicity is the way that we think, which will be an issue for all of us who identify as addicts in whatever shape or form that we do. So it's really, really important to get rid of this toxicity, really important to get rid of the inflammation. So any of you that want to come and work with me and uh, our coaching team, uh, to be 1,000 days sober, we're going to be really suggesting that you really pay some serious uh, attention to this kind of stuff, particularly in the evolution phase where you're feeling strong. So the, the addiction's dealt with, alcohol's in the rearview mirror. You understand that it offers you no value. You're not triggered to drink it. That's a perfect time to say, okay, what else can we do to upskill ourselves, to, uh, to take care of our body? Now we've removed alcohol from our lives. What else is screwing us up, right? So uh, the inflammation spectrum by Dr. Will Cole. You'll hear in a minute. Buy it, okay? Today is National Nudity Day. Uh, so I just wanted to say, you know, a big thank you to my mom and dad. They're not listening to this, obviously. My mom and dad don't even know I have a podcast helping people quit alcohol. They raised me to be really comfortable with nudity. and. That is something that I've taken for granted. And I didn't really pay much attention to it until I started to work with people who were struggling with, you know, falling into the, the alcoholism trap who really don't feel like they belong in their skin. Now, obviously, a, a large aspect of that is mental. Like they don't mentally feel like they're normal. They mentally feel like they're weird. But there's also the body side of that. 
you know, like um, my boobs are too small, my belly's too fat, my nose is too wonky, my my hair is too grey, whatever it is. There's massive pressure today more than ever to look our pristine best, right? Um, talking social media, if we're using social media, for example. Um, and, I, and I remember being a young teenager with my back covered in acne when I moved in with my first wife for the first time, still wanting the lights off to make love because I didn't want her to see my back, you know? So I've experienced body shaming, that kind of thing before, but I'm so grateful that my mom and dad were fine with the junk hanging out and running around and all that kind of naked and, and then being naked as well in front of me, like, and that not being a, a big deal. I think it's really super important that we start to love the, the perfect imperfectness of our bodies and to realize that most people don't give a fuck, right? Like we're worried about people, how they think about us and they don't really give a fuck. There's nothing sexier than somebody who's got their shit together, right? There's nothing sexier than confidence uh, and courage. And uh, just want to put that out there. Thank you, mom and dad. And uh, yep, the other thing I want to say is the only time that I've actually been nude in public uh, several times, actually, is when I've been drunk. And, you know, a lot of people will use the justification to drink alcohol being that alcohol reduces inhibitions and that is a good thing. It is not a good thing to lose your inhibitions um, without you being in control of the volume, right? Like if you're in control and you decide to lower your inhibitions or increase your inhibitions, that is up to you. You're in control. You're making a decision. You're drinking alcohol. You're not making that decision anymore. Okay. Resistance is taken over. Um, most of the times that I got naked and ran around were in states of blackouts or mini blackouts. Um, that's not a good spot to be in when you're bollock naked running around some town, right? It's not a good spot. Is that the type of human being that I want to be? Do I want to be the human being that thinks it's really funny to take all my clothes off and run in the middle of a lawn bowls contest and do a downward facing dog? Like, do I crave my, my, the laughter from the sidelines of my friends that much that I, want to put my dignity on the line like that. At the time, I thought it was amazing, great. And it's an aspect of the five ends of justification, which we cover in the 1000 Days Sober Experience, called nobility, especially men, you know, where we think it's noble to get smashed, take our clothes off and run around naked. It's, it's not noble. We're just fucking idiots when we're doing it. So National Nudity Day it's just another reminder to me how much of a prick I was when I used to drink alcohol. And I'm so glad that I don't drink alcohol. And the only way you'd see me nude now is just through sheer vulnerability of saying, this is who I am and I love myself. And I'm going to spare you. <laughs> I'm going to spare you me doing that right now. Okay. Um, but that is the only way you'd get me doing that. I'd go to Burning Man and get naked. That would be no problem to me. You know, walking down the streets here in LA, I'd be in prison if I did that. But uh, national nudity, please, please, please love your body. All right? Love yourselves. Anyway, before I let you go to World Call, are you following us on Instagram? 1000 Days Sober, get over to Instagram. YouTube, 
I was doing two videos a week. I'm going to put that down to one because I'm busy, busy, busy. So get over to our YouTube channel, 1000 Days Sober. And if you want to join the 1000 Days Sober experience and get me and my coaching team to help you get to 1000 Days Sober, then send me an email at truthbyalcohol at gmail.com and I will book a one-to-one -one call, me and you. And we'll have a chat about how we can move forward with that. Okay, without further ado, I'm going to shut the hell up. Leave you in the capable hands of the guy who wrote the Inflammation Spectrum, the guy who wrote the Ketotarian Diet, the functional medicine practitioner who has Gwyneth Paltrow's phone number probably on his mobile because he does a bit of work for her. Dr. Will Cole. Get with it, man. Today, my guest is Dr. Will Cole. This is the third time uh, that I would have interviewed Dr. Will, but I think the most important, how are you doing? I'm doing well, my friend. Who Who's the guest that's been on the show the most? Because I want to beat that person. You. <laughs> All, right. Well, All right. I did. I did. Right at the beginning, I made the decision that I was only going to ever have one person on the podcast. So I would never have repeat guests. But if you think about it, it's a bit of a stupid thing to do. So I yeah. have yeah. had Melanie Joy on twice. And I've had you on twice. I interviewed you for a poker okay. podcast as well, which is separate. Yeah. But. In between last time I interviewed you and this time round, I read this book, which my daughter has uh, um, <laughs> in for me. The information. I special. love that. It's just it's completely upgraded the cover. <laughs> you should hire her. <laughs> okay, so you know this book, The Information Spectrum, it's really great. So I'm going to just tell you something about it. I read it, and uh, there's a um, questionnaire that I got to answer, right? Mm -hmm. So my total score, score on my inflammation came out at 84. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was high on all of the different parts of my body with the exception of autoimmune. Okay. And so you give two options in the book. Uh, one is um, uh, core four, which is a four-week plan. And mm -hmm. one is eliminate an eight-week plan. So if you just start, mm -hmm. start out by just explaining what those, you know, about a little bit about inflammation and uh, why write the mm -hmm. book and and what these two choices are. This is the four week and the eight week. Yeah. So the inflammation spectrum, the book is a natural extension of what my day job is, which which is consulting people around the world via webcam. And we were one of the first telehealth clinics in the world over 12 years ago. And that's been my day job, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. throughout the work week uh, for the past 12 years. So this book is really the, um, a ripple effect of that and seeing how insidious and far-reaching inflammation, chronic inflammation is in the human race today. Inflammation is not a uh, inherently bad thing. It's a product of our immune system. So in balance, inflammation fights viruses. Inflammation kills off bacteria. It's the breaking of the Goldilocks principle, not too high, not too low, but just right. That's the problem. Chronic inflammation is like this forest fire that burns in perpetuity. That's the issue. It's chronic inflammation that's out of balance that has been linked in the scientific literature for years, and we're understanding it more and more as time goes on. Chronic inflammation is linked to everything under the sun when it comes to chronic health problems, when it comes to diabetes, heart disease, cancer, autoimmune diseases, musculoskeletal issues, 
to even mental health issues. There's a whole field of research referred to as the cytokine model of cognitive function. Cytokines are pro-inflammatory cells. So it's research looking at how inflammation is impacting how people's brains work, how inflammation impacts mental health. So anxiety, depression, fatigue, brain fog are also inflammatory according to the research. So it is these are things that I see. I mean, mainly we deal with people with autoimmune conditions or people somewhere on this autoimmune inflammation spectrum. And there may not be an overt autoimmune condition, but they have inflammatory components to their problems. Because you can, just to be clear on this, you can have inflammation, chronic inflammation without having autoimmunity, but all autoimmunity is inflammatory. Hmm. So this is the, the, the tentacles, the far-reaching tentacles of chronic inflammation is something that I see on an hourly basis. This concept of the inflammation spectrum is something that I mentioned in passing in Ketotarian in my first book that I had the conversation with you initially on your podcast. So I mentioned why, because beta-hydroxybutyrate, the ketone is a way to burn fat, but it's also a, an epigenetic modulator, meaning it does cool things for our body and our health. And one of them being it downregulates inflammation. So I was talking about autoimmunity and how beta-hydroxybutyrate can help to lower inflammation. And then the second book is a deep dive in this concept beyond ketosis. What are ways for us to have agency over our wellness, to take control of our health, to start to lowering inflammation levels? So it's an exploration of food as medicine and every food we eat either feeds inflammation or fights it. It brings it up or brings it down. It's a modulator of our biochemistry, but also non-food things as well. So it's not just about breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's about what we're serving our head and our heart and our, our soul and all of these, these bi-directional, very uh, sophisticated things of everything in our life is influencing our biochemistry. So it's an exploration of the science around that, of, of this. So the quiz that you mentioned in the book the inflammation spectrum quiz is adapted from questions that I ask patients. So I just made it a little bit more user-friendly, a little bit more of like um, choose your own adventure in a way of like finding out where you're at on the inflammation spectrum. So this is for pers- people. And, and it's really cool to see this on social media. Cause again, my, I'm used to managing the case and clinically monitoring them and, and coaching them and guiding them. But it's really cool to see people who have the inflammation spectrum book and do it on their own. And they're taking the quiz at the beginning and then they like screenshot it or like take a picture of it and then like tag me on social media. And I'm getting to see like the quiz score at the beginning and then a quiz score at the couple months to see them be able to cut their inflammation levels down in half and to nothing. It's really cool to see. So it's, it's they take that quiz and then in the book, the quiz will show them where they're at on the inflammation spectrum and then what areas of their body is inflammation levels the highest. And the quiz is actually free for everybody on drwillcole.com. So if they want to just take the quiz and not read the book, they could take the quiz, but the book's going to obviously give them the tools and the knowledge and the recipes and all that stuff they need to, um, to start feeling great again. Mm. Yeah, the I'm going to do that afterwards. Actually, I'm going to take a, a shot of my scores. I haven't rescored myself. Um, I, I and the reason I haven't rescored myself is I is I feel so damn good, um, and that that's what there I wanted know. to talk to you about. Like, yeah, you know, my my brain and nervous system inflammation score was was 15. My musculoskeletal system inflammation score was 15, and then I had. 14 on the hormonal endocrine system. So I, I was high on all of them, like I said, other than autoimmune inflammation. Um, how was I feeling, just to explain to people listening, 
I was getting into fights all the time with my wife. One of the triggers to fights was her continually telling me that she told me stuff. And then, and then I would say, no, you didn't. You know, almost mm. like to the point where I was saying to her, do you know, maybe I've got a mental problem here that I, I cannot remember stuff, right? You know, like, so that was like a big thing. Super tired, uh, backache, all that kind of stuff. Um, really big uh, bloaty belly, which is silly for me because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not like a, a heavy person. Like I'm not like a fat person or anything. I'm, I'm kind of like pretty lean, but I have this stupid thing. And then gas, smelly breath, um, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, Those are makes sense why you scored the way that you did. And this is how I feel now. And then I want to talk about the junior a little bit. So, so I did the eight-week uh, elimination diet with a tweak. And we'll talk about the tweaks in, in a minute. After week six, I could see the weight dropping off me. Not in a bad way. My body started to have definition without me even doing much, right? It's just I just lost weight in my face. Um, I, I took a photo shot. I didn't do it before and after, but I found a photo shot of my face and you could see noticeably that I'd, I'd lost weight. Uh, so I look younger. I look good. Um, the biggest thing for me though, uh, Dr. Cole is this feeling of completely with it. Like I feel so like I've gained several IQ points. Like I feel more competent, more capable, stronger mentally, uh, more courageous, more ready to take risks, braver. And I also feel more present emotionally, uh, less self-centered, more mindful, things that I never considered and that I find are very difficult to measure. You know, and what I was worried about, like, you know, when this thing says, have you got brain fog? Like, what's brain fog? It's not until you don't have brain fog that you're like, oh, shit, I had brain fog. Um, I hear so that, that a lot. So that's how I feel now. But I just want to start telling you my process and then we can have a conversation around it. At the beginning, yeah. at the beginning, when I, when I was reading a book, I'm vegan, folks, right? So when I was reading a book, there was a part of me that was thinking, oh, this is good. I'm going to be able to eat meat for eight weeks. Honestly, I, I thought that's what my, my, my resistance would want to do but it didn't. It was so anti-eating me, it is untrue. So at the beginning, I got really anxious and I, I was stressing. I didn't know how I was going to do this without protein. I ended up eating azuki beans, mung beans, and yellow and green split peas. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah. That, I mean, there's a whole, you read the books, you know this, but there is a sidebar that I put in the book specifically when I wrote it that was, okay, let's be pragmatic. Let me think about all the different readers that are going to read this book. And because I, again, I'm so used to talking to patients online and guiding them through this. I know all the FAQs that come up and like, well, what do I do about this? So I was trying to like include all of them in there so they could have their questions answered. So those are fine modifications. And like there's two different paragraphs in that sidebar that I say, okay, look, if you are flexible with your plant-based diet, then let's consider how you feel. 
And we have to do something different to see something different. And if, I'm assuming if someone's reading this book and is interested in this stuff, something's not working for them. Mm. And my agenda isn't one way of eating. I wrote a mostly plant-based ketogenic book, Ketotarian. So I prefer being more plant-based. This is not an agenda for me. But I also see patients that feel a certain way. What they're doing isn't working for them, whether that's plant-based or not plant-based, whatever. Whatever they're doing isn't working for them. So we need to shake things up and find what foods their body loves and what foods their body hates without a dogma or creed or specific agenda that somebody has as an author or doctor or whatever, health mm. expert. So I would say that was the conversation I was having at the beginning of that, of, of that, let's look at the foods we need to be focusing on, is that some people are flexible. We get many, many people, when I consult them, that are plant-based, vegan, vegetarian, or just mostly plant-based, uh, and they want to feel better more than they want to stick to their specific way of eating. So they have some flexibility on that. Then there are some people that are like, no, because of religious reasons or um, personal preference reasons, they they don't have much wiggle room on what they're going to bring back, bring in. And I'm always an advocate for ethically raised animals and regenerative farming, organic, local, all that stuff. But there are some people that are going to say, no, like even that stuff, I'm not going to have it. And we made those concessions in there, like mung beans are on there, like uh, pressure cooked, like things to break down the lectins are on there. Like there are many plant-based protein options uh, plant-based food options uh, that uh, people can have uh, and modifications. So I think it was completely fine that you did that. And um, it sounds like it, it worked really well for you. So it's not like, like that that's, and that's another sidebar question that I have later on in the book. I'm saying, look, if you made those modifications and you're still not feeling better, maybe you need to reevaluate those modifications and just do it the way that I originally intended it. I got lucky because I never, I think education is really important and something that I've missed since I've been a vegan. See, all my life, I've never really educated myself on looking after myself and what I put in my, in my mouth. I certainly didn't do that when I decided to become vegan. So I would never have imagined that becoming vegan would have meant that I was putting more inflammatory foodstuffs in my mouth. Like it would never have even considered that. Um, the first uh, legume that I tried to eat actually on this diet was red lentils. And um, straight away, I could see it gave me all kinds of um, problems, uh, bloating and gas. So I, I, I knocked it on the head. But when I, when I started to use mung beans, uh, split peas, and azuki beans, initially, I would have a little bit of wind and it would smell atrocious, right? So then I was like, is this working? But as time went on, the gas and the smell went away. Why is that? That's a microbiome shift. And that's really important part. I'm glad we're talking about this is that there's a difference between a food sensitivity or food reactivity or something that sustainably isn't working for you and a microbiome adaptation, meaning that the bacteria, like the saying is you are what you eat, right? And it's more appropriately said, we are what our microbiome eats. And if our microbiome is not used to breaking down certain foods, there's going to be an adaptation period. So that's even in the reintroduction phase of the reintegrate uh, chapter of the book, um, where we slowly systematically bring foods that we have been taking a break from back in to see what our body loves and what our body hates. We're doing it systematically. So we are not bringing it all like a big bowl of it and having it three times a day, because at that point, you, you may have some digestive shifts or you may feel a certain way. Not And you can't differentiate between, is this just my 
gut bacteria adjusting to breaking down something new, or is it actually a food reactivity in something that's immune mediated or some uh, like intolerance where they're, I think the enzymes are not there in the body, whatever that case may be. I, I want to clear the difference. I want to, I want you to have clarity and understanding as far as what's working for your body. So that what it sounds like to me is when you had the adzuki beans and you had like the mung beans and those things at the, the split peas at the beginning, there was that shift of the microbiome. And then once the microbiome is used to breaking those plant fibers down, then you are fine. So that's, that's what it sounds like. The other thing that I ate actually was tempeh. So um, what I would tend to do was I would have your wonderful sweet potato date smoothie in the morning. And, mm-hmm. and then in the afternoon, I would have leftovers from the, the previous evening. And then in the evening, I might have some tempeh uh, just in some, uh, I think I was using vegan geese sometimes. Uh, and kichari spice I was using as well, which seemed to pass the test. Um, but then uh, a game changer for me was, of course, I'm, I'm having all these beans and stuff. And then uh, I did this monk dal and my nance, uh, my mother-in-law said to me, oh, you can make a pancake out of that. I was like, well, I can make a pancake? So she made this monk dal pancake. That was it. For like eight weeks, I was just like <laughs> making all these different monk dal pancakes. Like uh, my, my kitchen smelled like a, an Indian restaurant. It was great. Um, a <laughs> couple of questions on things that I, I, I didn't understand. Uh, this is just my lack of education. And I, and I imagine some other people might have the same questions if they read the book. Had azuki beans, if I couldn't have found uh, a solution, I think I would have eaten meat eventually. Uh, but luckily, I, I, I got the solution, so I didn't have to do that for myself. Um, but why? I can understand white meat, I guess. But for me, and this is a lack of educational statement, but when I think of red meat, and I don't know whether this is due to media or what, when I think of red meat, I think inflammation. So could you clear up why red meat was on there? And when I was kind of thinking that it wouldn't be. So in the book, I want people to be fish centric, right? I mean, that's definitely the predominant source of fats and proteins that I want people to have as far as animal fats and proteins, at least, is to be more pescatarian leaning, which is what I advocate in ketotarian. But I wanted, this was a book, The Inflammation Spectrum is a book about immunoreactivity or inflammation. Um, so it wasn't about a specific way. A ketotarian was more on my approach to the ketogenic diet, my journey, and the inflammation spectrum is I want people to find their journey and what works for them. So, and there's a sidebar there about saturated fats and people specific gene variants that do better with lower saturated fats and specific bioindividuality when it comes to specific, we're all different and different uh, variants when it comes to that. And let me be clear on that. Grass-fed beef is not just saturated fat. It has many other types of fats too. So even many plant-based foods like Coconut oil would be more of a higher, almost exclusively saturated fat, but it's very easy for, you know, the way that media works and the way that public understanding works is to be reductionist when it comes to red meat and say, well, that it's red meat is bad. Uh, in the same way that, that the argument was made that fat is bad and cholesterol is bad. That's an oversimplified perspective. It's partially true, but not the entire truth. Mm. So the, the partial 
truth of that is that some people don't do well with a high red meat diet or a high saturated fat diet. And again, to be clear here, red meat is not just saturated fat. You get a many, many omega fats in red grass-fed beef as well, just like you do with wild-cut fish. So that's specific. Um, that should be clarified there. But even if you look at the saturated con- content in red meat, there are some people that don't do well with lots of that, just like they don't do good with lots of coconut oil, a plant-based fat a saturated fat. But the other variant here is too, is the quality of the beef. So I, in my opinion, that the problem is not so much the meat itself, but it's what we've done to it as far as the modern farming practices are concerned. It is that that's the major issue when it comes to red meat for the, for most people is that they are having CAFO, like factory farmed food the cow is not grazing on grass it's fed corn that corn is genetically modified it's sprayed with glyphosate it is not the way that nature intended so it's again this larger evolutionary mismatch this genetic epigenetic mismatch that it's at at the heart of not just beef but about our life in general as far as the our food supply is concerned mineral depletion toxicity environmental problems that's going on so so as far as if you get regenerative farmed organic grass-fed beef the benefits are actually really good for people but it's put should be put into context with the whole food diverse diet meaning they're not having grass-fed beef all day every day it's just part of a balanced diet. Um, and I talk about the APOA2 and the APOE uh, gene variants in the book. Certain people don't do well with a high saturated fat diet and they should look at red meat and look at coconut oil as something they should not, and dairy, they should not be having in high amounts. Um, so that's my nuanced opinion about, about grass-fed beef, but it's one a wonderful source of bioavailable B12, omega fats, conjugated linoleic acid, these healthy uh, saturated fats too. Um, So that's my nuanced opinion. I prefer being more plant-based, but if you look at immunoreactivity, meaning people that are on the inflammation spectrum, red meat tends to be less reactive than many plant comparables. So if you look at the amount, like the talk about the amount of people that I see, and I prefer being more plant-based. This is not my personal agenda. I'm just saying what I see clinically speaking, and there's studies to show this too, that plant proteins are going to be more irritating to more people than grass-fed beef proteins in most people. There's exceptions to that rule. Like there's people with Lyme disease and co-infections to Lyme that have allergies to beef. And there's definitely exceptions to what I just said. But if you're looking at just statistically the vast amount of people that are living today, more people are having reactions to plant proteins than grass-fed beef. Uh, It doesn't mean it's a perfect food for everybody. But I, again, my agenda is finding out what your body loves and what your body hates, not saying this is the right way and that's the wrong way and everyone needs to follow this. It's bio-individuality. That's the heart of functional medicine, what I do, and it's the heart of the inflammation spectrum. Um, So... That, that's a specific opinion. Now, does, and I think to your point, like especially uh, in the UK, I, the press that's out there, and it's specifically though in, in many pockets of the health world around the, around the world, is that red meat equals inflammation. Yes, saturated fats can raise inflammation levels up. 
But remember what I said, inflammation is not inherently bad. Our body does need some inflammation. So it's not unhealthy inflammation. It's just kind of giving your body things that helps the immune system out that you're going to have an inflammatory response and it's going to come back down. So that just saying something increases inflammation is not necessarily a bad thing in context with the full diet. Because there's going to be things that bring inflammation levels up. There's going to be bring things that bring inflammation levels down. Same with saying an alkaline or acidic, like, oh, you, it's alkalinity that's a problem. So you should avoid all things that are acidic. No, it's about having a balance. There are many things that are acidic that are actually very healthy uh, for, for us that we need to be eating. So it's the same, same thing here. We want balance with, with inflammation. We want balance with, with things on all levels. I've done something like this before. I did Sandra Cabot's liver cleanse diet not long after I'd stopped drinking alcohol, actually. And that led me to becoming vegetarian for the first time because I just, this, I think you can eat white meat in the middle part of that eight week. So you begin at the beginning with no white meat, then you can eat a bit and then you don't eat any at the end of it. And then, so because I'd gone without red meat for eight weeks and, and it, for me anyway, uh, red meat is not like a drug or, you know, yeah. it's, it's not like a drug. I can, I, it was my favorite food. I loved uh, Philip Stig more than anything. Um, but then when I didn't have it for eight weeks, I was like, well, I don't really need it. And I felt better myself. Yeah. Right. So I, I'd done this before, but what I think about things like this, especially from a vegan perspective is I can see how people wouldn't want to do it. So for example, I help people quit alcohol. We'll talk about alcohol in a minute. I would love to say to everybody who comes to 1,000 Days Sober, if you want me to help you become sober, I want you to hop on this elimination diet with me. I want you to read Will's book, and I want you to get your inflammation under control. Um, but my worry would be a lot of people would stay clear of it if they were vegan because of this, this story that we tell ourselves, which is true, but it's I think is highly over-exaggerated, of the beauty of food, right? I, I need to eat beautiful things. I cannot deny myself these wonderful things. Okay, I used to think like that. But when you go through an eight-week process like this and you really simplify your foods and you nail it down to a few things that you're eating, but let's, you know, a, a, a broad variety of vegetables, fruits, that kind of stuff, you lose that. For me anyway, and this is a subjective opinion, obviously, I'm not thinking to myself when I go out with my wife, oh my God, I wish I could eat that. My body just doesn't want it anymore. After, after eight, I'm on, I'm on week 10 now or 11. My body just doesn't want it anymore. But I'm worried at, at the beginning, a lot of people will be like, what, I can't eat this, I can't eat that. I'm not going to do it, which then leads me to think, okay, if this is bio-individual, then having things in there like fish, white meat, red meat is, is important in order to reach more people and get more people to do this because it's, it's really important, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and what your view is on that and extending that, you know, I was, I was saying to myself, obviously, I have a passion, a will about alcohol. So I'm like, I fucking love it. This book's great. Fuck alcohol because that's going to be like the worst inflammatory thing ever like for yeah. me drinking alcohol is like pouring petrol down your throat and then when i read in the book that you know okay you can bring it back if you want to a little bit there was a part of me thinking well did you just put that in there because you knew that people would never ever take this diet because they love 
of they perceive they love alcohol so much. Yeah, uh, you're uh, you're right. I don't drink alcohol either. So I think that it's just a common question. Just it's a very common question. And, and it's not, I'm pragmatic in the sense of I want people to have much variety and enjoy food as much as they can, as much as their body will allow. And some people, they can have small amounts of alcohol and it's not creating any um, noticeable problems on a health level. But I, I, look, the larger picture is I would prefer if people didn't drink any alcohol and that's, that's the reality. But I just, I'm going to alienate a lot of people because they're not there. Uh, and I have to meet people where they're at and I want them to live their life and find out, out find out truly what, what works for their body and what doesn't. So that's really the, the book is exploration, but I'm very specific in that chapter of saying, look, what do you really miss? They may have changed their opinion over the, over the eight weeks or the four weeks, depending on what, what protocol they did. And they may feel like, you know what? I don't want to bring that alcohol back. And I, I thought I did at the beginning and they maybe read the reintroduction before they did the, the eight weeks and they, okay, cool. After eight weeks, I could bring it back in and I, it's, I'm excited. I can bring, it's not alcohol forever going away just for eight weeks. I can do that. And then the eight weeks goes by and then they go through introduction and they don't bring it back in. Because they feel differently about it. They've had a heart change, a head change, and a physiological change against it. And that's my hope too, is that, yeah, it's an option, but you may change your mind after eight weeks. And I wanted to give people a plan of how to bring it back in a way that uh, could see what really works for them. Because if you're looking at from a physiological like reactivity, like, does my body feel more inflamed when I have this alcohol? we can sort of suss out the ones that are a little bit more problematic than other things. Um, you know, depending on the person they can see, okay, this I'm maybe fine with a little bit of this alcohol, but not fine with this one. That's my thoughts on that. I forget the first part of your question um, specifically, but I, you know, I hear what I you're think, saying. I think, I yeah. think my first part was what I'm trying to say. I'm t- I need to get more uh, into brevity in my questions, right? What, what I'm trying to say is, I nearly gave up, right? I nearly gave up it. because it was people want easy street. They want a pill. Give me a pill. Uh, oh, yeah, the beautiful foods me, I remember you meant. Yeah. Right? Give me a pill because mm-hmm. it fixes me. And like, there's no way I'm giving up peanut butter. There's no way I'm giving up chocolate. I guess the two main ones, the three main ones again, I ain't going to give up meat. I'm not going to give up sugar and I'm not going to give up alcohol, right? And when you said, um, <laughs> I can't remember the word you used, but a lot of people, you know, I like, you you refer to a lot of people with alcohol. Like I'm like, you're being generous there. Let everybody drinks alcohol, right? There's like on the scale, there's very, there's, there's very few people that don't drink alcohol. So to say to people, Hey, to do this, you can't, you can't uh, drink alcohol beyond that. We probably are doing a greater disservice because uh, I'm feeling so tipped up right now that you, you, you're right after eight weeks of not having alcohol, feeling this good, you don't want to mess about with it. And if you do what comes next in the right way, and we'll talk about this in a minute, reintroduction, then I'm, I'm hoping someone would reintroduce alcohol and then straight away be like, oh, whoa, 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 this, this is an issue. And, and I'm talking about, I'm not talking about, I, I think people are on an alcohol spectrum, uh, Will, you know, from my my granny who has like a sniffed report every year to like the guy you see underneath the, you know, the park bench mm-hmm. guy. And, and it's like this, this spectrum, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm not talking about anti-gener up here. 
I'm talking about somebody who does this, me. Let's talk about me when I was a drinker. I do this and then I get my eight weeks done. And then I go out on Saturday and I say, I can drink because <clears throat> Will said I can introduce alcohol in a, in a structured way. But I ain't going to introduce it structured. I'm going out with the lads on Saturday. So I end up having 10 pints of lager. I have God knows how many mm. shots of vodka. And then I end up in a kebab shop because I black out and I have a kebab with spicy chili sauce, right? <laughs> and then the next day when I wake up, I have such a hangover that the way that I deal with that is just by ordering an Indian takeaway. That was my life. And I would find it very difficult not to revert back to type after eight yeah. weeks of this if I just drank alcohol again, you know? Yeah. And so there, there are trigger foods and trigger drinks for a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. And I agree with you. If you cannot bring it back in, in a sparingly way for whatever reason. I mean, there's alcohol addiction, obviously, that I completely agree with you on the spectrum of that. I see that all the time with patients. They don't identify as an alcoholic. They probably wouldn't even conventionally even be told they were an alcoholic, but I can see the visceral reaction they have when I say, let's take a break from it. (laughs) Like that's on an alcoholic spectrum. (laughs) If you're having panic attack and cold sweats, when you're saying to go off of something, there's may not be a physical addiction, but it's a mental, emotional coping addiction for sure. But that I see that with other foods as well, like the, this sort of visceral reaction against breads and sugar and things like that. I forgot bread. Is that yeah. when, you, I forgot bread. when you bring the foods back in, if you're having, if you are binging after you bring it back in, then that food needs to come back out or that drink needs to come back out. Like you do not have a healthy relationship with that food, that food, you are a slave to that food or that drink. That's a definitely a sign that it's not working for you um, and you need to bring it back out. And people with addiction or that are in recovery need to take that into consideration when they're doing any reintroduction. Just because I'm saying, let's, because I, I, at the beginning of that chapter, I say, what foods do you want to bring back in? Like, what foods do you feel like could be a part of a healthy lifestyle, but you want to see if they work for your body or not? If someone's in recovery, I would never advocate saying you could bring that back, that, that back in in moderation in small amounts. That's, I think it's all or nothing for people in recovery. Um, But I know there's differing opinions on that, but I think generally, and that would be the same for people that binge eat too. And these foods that create imbalance in people's body, because if people are binging and then they're eating like the breads and the pastas, that's impacting insulin. And these are designer foods that are designed to be addictive, like pastries and junk food and all that stuff. It's probably not the best thing to bring back in, even in small amounts. It's going to trigger something in their brain to want to have more and more and more of it. And you're not going to be able to have it in a balanced way. It really stressed to me. So one of, one of the ways that we help people to escape the alcohol trap, right, is by the physical addiction side of it. For the people who come to me for coaching, the physical side of it is, is nothing, right? A, a, a day or so or two, three days, there's nothing. It's gone. Like n- nobody's really who comes to me is having a major issue with that, right? If they are, I send them to a medical practitioner. It's not my field, right? So now we're talking about psychological issues. And the biggest issue that we have that we help to dispel is people's, the way that they look at the world. So it's like this thing, in this case, alcohol, provides me with tremendous short-term value but we get them to think about the lack of long-term value to the point where you come through the process going, wow, I, I can hand on my heart say, for me, 
alcohol has no value. So if it has no value, why would I drink it? If it has no value, there's no point in me drinking it. Now, what I felt quite strongly when I did the elimination diet was you can apply this philosophy across the food spectrum. It's not just alcohol. So mm-hmm. I know this is subjective, but you know you might have an opinion on it based on your vast uh, experience. Let's say oats and granola, for example. I, wonderful habit of going downstairs after putting my daughter to bed at nine, 10 o'clock at night. And even when I'm not hungry, getting that bowl of granola, what I seem to be really healthy, super organic, all that blah, 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 granola with fruit and my coconut milk. And I sit there like a healthy vegan eating it, right? Right. <laughs> so now, crunchy. and I, if you were to say to me, I'm going to take my granola and all that away from, ah, don't take that away. I love it so much. Then after eight weeks of not having it and realizing that that perceived short-term value is actually causing me long-term pain, and now not having it, realizing that I feel so much better, you see the difference between having this short-term focus of, oh, I got to have my granola, I got to have my chocolate bar, I got to have my alcohol, but it's not doing us any good going forward. And for people listening to this who are saying, yeah, but alcohol's good for me, for my health. Nobody drinks alcohol because it's good for your health. No, nobody does. Nobody does, right? They use it as an excuse to drink it, but they don't drink it because it's healthy. Like get resveratrol supplements or eat some grapes. I mean, fuck's sake. Yeah. (laughs) You would have to have so much alcohol that you would be dead to actually get the real benefits from it. I mean, (laughs) I've never heard that one before. That's a cracker. I mean, if you look at the science of resveratrol, they're taking such mega doses of it. You're not getting therapeutic doses of resveratrol from wine. You're not, Mm. you're getting micro doses of it. It's not a reason to drink (laughs) wine at all. But this short term, long term, short term, long term, you must see this. This must be a massive challenge for you, actually, where you're trying to get people over this line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why there's so much ethos in the why in that book. Like it's really people having shifting that paradigm to saying, look, this isn't about all the things you can't have. This is really about loving your body enough to feed it things that make you feel good. It's just about valuing yourself enough to want to find out what your body loves and what your body hates. That's freedom. That's food peace, as I call it. So this is really having a, a, a discernment as to what's working for you and it's not. Because look, it's really, we talk about punitive and like binding in someone's life. It is feeling like crap, like feeling fatigued, having brain, brain fog, not being able to lose weight, having digestive problems, having inflammation is not fun. Feeling great is fun. So if something, if you're, what you're eating and how you're living is working for you, then keep doing what you're doing. But I have a sense that the people that are listening right now or the people that are reading the book, what they're doing isn't working for them. So they have to have the, they have to realize that what they're doing isn't working and they have to do something different to see something different. So that's what this is about. Like you said, alcohol has no value to you. That's the same way that I say it with people. Like, it's like, if I saw like dirt on the ground, I wouldn't be like, oh my gosh, I have to have that dirt and go like licking it up on the, off the pavement. It's the same thing with junk food. It's same thing with alcohol for me. It's like, it's not an option. I love feeling better more than I miss that thing that made me feel horrible. 
And that's that catalyst and that paradigm shift that people need to get to is this isn't about being restrictive or punitive or like, oh my gosh, it's so like this, this strict program. This is no, this is about you loving, feeling great more than you miss the, something that didn't make you feel great. Uh, and that saboteur isn't worth it. It's they so, love feeling better more than it's that. It's so interesting you say that because like I obviously, I coach people, okay, in exactly the way you're talking. So I I don't want people to feel like 1,000 Days Sober is punitive or we're getting you to do something you don't want to do. If you stop drinking and then you're a miserable fucker, go drink, right? Because we're on about like leading a fulfilled life, not giving up drinking, right? So, but but even at the beginning of this, my mind, even though I coach people every day on this thing, my mind at the beginning was, oh, I'm restricting myself. But this is because um, one of the things I worry about people a lot is the path of least resistance is they're on it. There's a deep groove in it. They can't get out of it. And even though they feel like shit, and I remember when I was a real lush, when I was drinking and drinking and puking up blood, right? Even though I was doing that and it hurt, I could handle it because that was my life, right? And the thought of not drinking was more terrifying and painful than what I was going through every day, right? So I think something like this, if you can get over that four-week hurdle or the eight-week hurdle, then suddenly you realize that there is a new path of least resistance. Oh, whoa, I do feel like this. This is amazing. And then you can go on from there with a caveat of, I'm telling you, folks, I know me and I've worked with enough people like me who would go through an eight-week process like this. And if you look at this as a diet and don't make it your lifestyle, you're fucked because you're going to be straight back where you where you ended up. And, and it would just be, oh, do you remember that day? Do you remember that time I did Will's elimination diet? And you're like, got a big, huge, we call it a derby in the UK, big, huge, fat gut. Remember that time you did that elimination diet and you lost all that weight? Yeah, yeah, fuck that. I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. I say I'm on week 11. I'm not on week 11. Well, I want to thank you personally. This is my new life now. I appreciate that. It's very kind of you. You're absolutely right. And that's that, that shift from going from a plan to just owning it. Because what we're talking about is it's not really a program. It is an integration of wellness into your life. That's exactly what it is. It's life itself. Because if something's serving you, keep doing it. If something's sabotaging you can make the decision to have it or not having it. This isn't about, oh my gosh, I can't have it. It's about, no, when you, if you want to make that decision to have that food, at least you know it's not going to work for you. At least you have the clarity of knowing this isn't going to work for you. Many people are just so confused. They don't even know what works for them uh, when it comes to food, like a little bit more of the gray area things. So to have full certainty in that is really helpful. It's freedom. It's, I, I think about my mom and dad, like where would they even start? You know, I, I, it would be like, look, you can't use, I mean, we're doing it now, actually. We're in a house with two, my Korean in-laws, my father-in-law is 79. He lost his business through the pandemic. He's suffering mm. mentally and physically. You can see him deteriorating, you know, and he's got prostate problems right now. So my wife is trying to get him to, to over, overhaul everything that he's doing and he's eating and supplement him. And you have to go right back to the basics because the oil they use the seasonings, they use, everything they use is yeah. not doing them any good. And it's um, right. and, 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 and you look but, at a 79-year-old, sorry, well, I'll, I'll just say this. It's fine. You look at a 79-year-old, and I look at him, and I said this on a podcast every week, he's not thinking to himself while he's sat in the chair about all his happily memories of his life. 
he sat there thinking, I'm in pain. I've got a catheter down my penis. It's uncomfortable. I'm worried to shit that I'm going to get prostate cancer. I don't want to die. And that's what he's thinking about right now. So anyone listening to this, no matter what age you are, start to think about that and start to make your decisions and choices and do things like look after inflammation, look up Dr. Will, work with him. Now, don't wait. We're not immortal, folks. We think we are, but we're not, you know? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's easy for us to think we are, you know, free from things that like we see going on around us. But the reality is none of us are immune from from these are chronic health problems that take time. So when someone's diagnosed with a chronic disease, whether that's diabetes, heart disease, autoimmune disease, research estimate, it's about four to 10 years prior to that diagnosis that these people are somewhere on this inflammation spectrum. So wherever you're at on the inflammation spectrum, the body is amazingly resilient. But these are check engine lights. Things like fatigue, the weight loss resistance, the anxiety, the depression, the digestive problems, those are all like check engine lights on a car. You can't just cover up the check engine light and say, see you in six months and like keep on driving. You have to take inventory of what's going on in your body now, not later. If there's a sign in the front of the functional medicine center here, we say, if you're waiting for the, the right time, it's now. You know, it's, it's easy to say, well, it's after this vacation or after this holiday, after this you know, party, after this birthday, after this whatever. There's always going to be something on the calendar for you to procrastinate mm-hmm. and put off this healthy thing that you know you should be doing. And that's the silver lining a lot of the times during this pandemic is that people had to really they weren't running around and distracting themselves with things that don't matter. They weren't traveling and all this other stuff in their life. They had to sort of realize, oh, wait, I need to. I I can maybe put these things that I've been procrastinating, I can start doing them. So I find that more people are wanting to have these labs ran and we drop ship the labs to them or they wanting to pick up the inflammation spectrum and do it because they have more time to actually pay attention to these things they've been putting off. But I was going to say too about your father-in-law is I have someone on the team for years. She's uh, Korean American. Her mom makes adjustments to all the traditional Korean foods and this modifications. And that's like the cool thing about Mm. uh, this way of eating. It might not be the same ingredients that you were using. You just have modifications to the things Mm. that they were doing. They don't have to eat like a rabbit to be healthy. They can really enjoy the, a lot of the things that they were enjoying. It's just getting different ingredients. Yeah, because they're not they're not that far off it. Because I, I look at them and I think, wow, you're looking pretty good for a late seventies. So you know, being over, I'm being over dramatic in my my father's case, but the the, the use of the analogy is important. You don't, you're not going to. Yeah, be, they're used to. Yeah, they're yeah. used to a certain way. Yeah. Um, on reintroducing foods, just want to talk about that a little bit. So as I was coming towards the end of my eight weeks, I was like, right, what am I going to reintroduce? You know. I'd already gone six months without sugar. So I was kind of done with sugar. I'm like, ah, fuck sugar. I hate, I hate sugar more than alcohol. So I'm done with sugar. And then, um, so I was like, well, I have peanut butter in my smoothies all the time. Hilarious. So I get this peanut butter. I whack it in my smoothie. I don't do what you said, by the way. I whack it in my smoothie and I drink it. And I just watch as my gut just goes. And I was like, all right, peanuts are off the menu. And then... Saturday night, movie night, my wife made some popcorn, had some popcorn, <laughs> that went off the menu. And then tomatoes were okay, pumpkin seeds are okay, almonds almonds um, soaked are okay, and almond milk is okay, although I'm still not really drinking it, I'm drinking coconut milk. And then something else interesting happened to me the other day, I had a pear 
for, for, I don't know, it just, just happened. I hadn't had a pair for 10 weeks and my, my stomach bloated again. Mm. So, so I just said, oh, I'm not going to eat pears. Interesting. Yeah, it may be the way you're saying like popcorn and uh, pears are higher in FODMAPs. I don't know. You may have some dysbiosis or SIBO. I don't know if you've ever had tests done or not, but higher FODMAP. These are fermentable sugars in some foods. And it's not always linearly like cause and effect. You can always see this, but oftentimes you'll see the more higher FODMAP foods you have, you'll get more bloating from it. So not that I'm diagnosing you via podcast, but I'm still, I still realize and understand that testing is a really important part on this. The, the problem I have with testing at the moment, which I'm just, I'm dealing with slowly and surely is that it's not just me. So if I tell I want to test, I want to test me, my wife, my kids, and then it becomes really expensive. So I need to wrap my head yeah. around that. Um, I hear you. Just quickly, my wife, my wife, by the way, I mean, the, the part of your book, which um, covers the um, mindfulness and the more spiritual side of it, which you turned, which you talked about earlier, went way over my head. Um, but my wife read it. My wife read it, and she said that it was amazing to read that in your book. By the way, so just to give you that. that Thanks. I tell her thank you. She said it was a really important part of it, um, that um, making those decisions. She wanted me to ask you, how does functional medicine help with addiction? Wow. Um, it's a good question. I think it's, there's so many parts of, of that answer. I mean, because we are always working in, in conjunction with an addiction specialist. So we are not addiction specialists and that should be a tool that they have in their journey, but the healthier somebody is meaning that they feel great, their heads above water, proverbially speaking, and they have it is like you said, you feel when you feel better, you felt braver, you felt like bolder, you felt more clarity, you feel more confident. If somebody feels all those things, they are at an, an advantage to overcome their addiction. If people feel depressed, if people feel anxious, if people feel fatigued, if they feel overwhelmed, if they have blood sugar regulation issues where they're having like dips in blood, like they're just completely hormonally imbalanced they are way more likely to be bound by their addiction. So to me, it's just creating a more resilience, uh, more balance, more uh, like fortitude in their life to then work with their addiction specialist. It's a lot more congruent to sustainable sobriety. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying there. Like I, I keep banging on about the, the major thing for me through these uh, the last 10, 11 weeks is how connected I feel to myself, to those that I love, to people I'm just meeting and the world at large. Maybe it's because the Black Lives Matter thing is happening at the same time in the pandemic. I don't know, but I, I, I'm, not quite, I'm not quite sure. Like, I really think you know, eliminating these inflamed foodstuffs from my diet has really helped me to find my true potential. So I'm mm -hmm. on my way there now. It's mm -hmm. like he's, I'm on a skateboard, but I've just hit a bit of a plateau and your book has come along and fucking kicked it as hard as he can. And I'm going downhill. Like I'm not downhill in a good way, you know? Yeah. So, um, okay. yeah. Um, thank you for your time. Uh, anybody Thanks, listening to this? Um, I talked to, talked a lot more today, uh, than Dr. Wilcoll usually does, but that's because I'm so passionate about this book and I hope I've, given it justice and explain to you folks 
how passionate I am about this. Seriously, you want to come to me for me to coach you to stop drinking alcohol? This is something I'm going to be shoving in your face and telling you to to, to get on this bus and to Thanks, man. really listen to what Dr. Will Cole's got to say. I appreciate that. It means a lot. That really does mean a lot. And you definitely did it justice. So I thank you for that. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Alcohol Addiction Podcast. Now, before you run away, just a few things, okay? So, the next time we run the 1000 Day Sober Experience, our program that guides you and helps you to become 1000 Day Sober, so that's 2.7 years, folks, right? It's the only long-term program in the world where we're with you constantly to help and guide you through the six stages of the Strive Model for Change. We get you through being stuck. We get you through thinking and the ambivalence around drinking alcohol. We get you through the research phase of making some change. We get you through the change. We manage you through that change. And then after that, with alcohol in the rearview mirror, we help you to evolve, to live a fulfilled life, to do that incredibly important post-recovery work which so many people, so many organizations out there dismiss or just don't even cover at all, right? So we got you back for 1,000 days. The next time we run an experience will be in July, but do not wait until then. The best thing that you can do right now is to get over to www.1000daysober.com and sign up to be a member of Strive today. Okay, it is 40 pounds a month subscription that includes uh, the 1000 days sober experience. It includes uh, online workshop, it includes online meetings, it includes guidance from our ambassadors, it includes one on one meetings with our incredible Strive coaches who are uh, skilled at a vast array of important elements of your life that are going to drive up and increase your physical and mental health. And by joining now, you get used to the environment, you get used to the community, you get used to the people. And when by the time July comes along, you'll be firing on all cylinders, kind of roaring to get into the 1000 Days Sober Experience. So do that today, really, really important. If you want to get the show notes for today, the show notes are exceptional, folks. You get the show notes from today's episode, you want to get a full transcription of today's episode, and you want to get a special workbook um, that will give you some, some fun and interesting questions based on today's episode that you can help that will um, one-up your life, right? Then get over to www.1000daysober.com. You will find the link there and sign up, give us your email address, and we will give you uh, we will give you these things free of charge, okay? And on that £40 a month, if you do not have the money, if you are struggling financially, then email me at thetruthaboutalcohol at gmail.com and we'll figure something out. Do not let money get in your way of becoming 1,000 days sober. And just because we go 1,000 days sober, right? don't be worried about that if you're not quite ready to quit yet. The first stage of the Strive Model for Change is called Stuck. The second stage is called Thought. And we do not expect you to stop drinking whilst you're doing that work. And that will take you a good four to five months. So you get a lot of grace. We will meet you where you're at in your addiction to alcohol. Don't worry about that, okay? We take on everybody. People who are desperately trying to stop drinking and people who stop drinking and they just want help putting their life back together, okay? Um, lastly, if you enjoyed 
listening to Alcon Addiction Podcast and please rate and review it on your local provider, whether that would be Apple or SoundCloud or whatever. Uh, just give us a nice review and some nice stars. You can find us on Instagram at 1000daysober.com or oh, 1000 Days Sober. And you can find us on YouTube, 1000 Days Sober as well. All right, take care yourselves, folks. Ciao, ciao.